We just thank you, Lord, that in, in you we are complete. We just thank you for Jesus and for the cross and for the price he paid for us. We ask that, Lord, you'd just fill Terry as, with, his, with your spirit, Lord, as he brings your truth to us, Lord, that the uncompromised word would be preached. Lord, we give you for, for glory for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. morning. May we be in awe of who you are. Help us to not be numb to the gospel, numb to Christ, numb to who you are, numb to studying your word, Father. Help us to be prayer warriors. Help us to be motivated and empowered and ignited by your spirit this morning as we discuss your word. I ask, Father, your Holy Spirit move on us in mighty ways, convict and encourage us and help us to be your people diligently walking in truth and holiness this morning. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to start with some Bible trivia this morning. By the way, has ever, anyone ever played the Bible trivia game? Can I see a show of hands, please? Okay, a few of you, so some of you may know where this story is going, but I was playing with some friends, and I thought, wow, I'm going to be really good at this game. I'm a pastor. <laughs> so inwardly, there may have been a little bit of pride on my part, but instantly, with the first question, my pride was dashed to the ground. As I tried to answer questions like, who was the first toolmaker? Recorded in the Bible, the first tool maker? The answer is obvious, right? Tubal Cain. So the point of this story is if you play Bible trivia, you will definitely grow in humility, and that's a good thing. So this morning, let's try some beginner's Bible trivia. The first question, what year was Paul converted to Christianity? Well, we think around 35 A.D., well, what year was Paul then martyred? Again, scholars and historians think probably around 60 to 64 AD. That means God used Paul for about 25 to 30 years before God allowed Paul to be martyred for his faith. Well, how many years did Paul sit in various prisons? Well, we think he spent probably about six years in prisons. So six years of Paul's precious life was spent under house arrest. And you have to wonder what Paul thought as he sat, and he sat, and he sat under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, mind you. Here we have Paul, the greatest missionary to ever walk to earth, and he sat for six years in prison. So how did Paul view his trials like prison, like being almost stoned to death, like 
being beaten on numerous occasions, like being shipwrecked and floated in sea for a day and night. How did Paul handle those trials? Well, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4.17. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4.17 this morning. We get our answer. Paul says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an internal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Paul talks about his troubles and trials in a very unhuman manner. Paul looked at his troubles as light and momentary. How many of us perceive or view our problems the way Paul did? Well, we're in luck because today we're going to discuss the calling of contentment. Isn't it exciting to look at how Paul viewed trials and treated them in such a calm and patient manner? What is the secret to learning contentment as opposed to wallowing around with an attitude of discontentment? Let me ask you a question. How many of us aren't content with the contentment we have today? (laughs) Or how many of us would like to grow in contentment? Today we are in Philippians 4, 10 through 13. So open your Bibles to 4, 10 through 13. And this will actually be our main text where we will keep discussing And this is where Paul is still under house arrest in Rome, where we find out that Paul is content in prison. We also find that Paul is content when things are going well in his life and his belly is full. But then we also find out when life is rough and Paul is starving to death, he's content. Paul is content in every and any situation. Let's read. Paul says this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Wow. Let's reread verses 10 and 11 again, because that's where we're going to start this morning. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that I have, at last, you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So Paul tells the Philippians here that he is glad that they've reconnected, rekindled that relationship, and he is very thankful for their generous gifts that they gave him. But at the end of the day, Paul doesn't need that relationship with the Philippians. He doesn't need their gifts. Paul was not dependent on them. Paul's anchor, Paul's foundation, Paul's constant focus was Christ. And it was Christ that took care of all Paul's situations. 
Paul had contentment in the good times and in the bad times. So what does it mean to be content in all situations? Well, to get a good perspective on contentment, let's explore discontentment first. What does it look like to be discontent with life? We see in Scripture that discontentment is usually connected or associated with one who chases after money or possessions. Discontentment can be explained this way, as living in actual circumstances in the present that we have no control over and continuing to have an attitude that says, I can't be happy unless this or that circumstance changes. Let me read that to you again. Discontentment can be explained as living in actual circumstances in the present that we have no control over and continuing to have an attitude that says, I can't be happy unless this or that circumstance changes. So what does discontentment look like? For many of us, discontentment is part of our daily routine. Discontentment looks like the stay-at-home mom who feels like she, she is missing out on life by washing dishes, doing the laundry, and taking care of her children and repeating the same routine day after day. Discontentment looks like the man who works a low-paying job and tells himself that he isn't living until he makes double. Discontentment looks like the woman who wants to be married and now is 30 and still single. Discontentment looks like the person who continues to struggle to find a job and says, I can't find happiness or I can't be happy until I have job security. Discontentment looks like the person who has all the money in the world but says, I need one more dollar to truly find fulfillment. Discontentment says, we can't be happy until our circumstances change. Worry says which we discussed a few weeks ago, worry says, what if this happens in the future? While discontentment says, what if this continues in the present? Truth number one. Truth number one. Discontentment is a sin. Surprise, surprise. Discontentment is a sin. Two weeks ago, we talked about worry being a sin. And now today, we learn that discontentment is a sin too. We sin much more than we think, brothers and sisters. I know some of you are thinking, why now is discontentment a sin? Well, let me ask you, how thankful can you be when you are discontent? Like worry, when we are discontent, it causes us to become thankless instead of thankful. Turn with me to Philippians 4.4. Move a few verses up in the passage. And Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. This is not a suggestion, brothers and sisters, but a command from the Apostle Paul. How much rejoicing can we do when we are full of discontentment? Discontentment says, I am not happy where God has me. 
dis, for example, discontentment in marriage says, I am not content with my spouse. I need a new one. Someone who will meet my needs. Discontentment says, I am not happy with my house I'm renting. I must own a house. Discontentment says, I want to trade in my teenager for a new one. Discontentment in general says, I will not be happy until. When we look below the surface, a discontent person gives God counsel on their life. A discontent heart knows better than God. It is like a teenager who knows better than their parents. And I bet no one knows what that's like here. But we, we become the teenagers when we are discontent. We say things like, God, my life would be so much better if this happened. Or God, if you would just make this work out. Or God, you need to really fix this today. Or God, if you would listen to what I am saying, my life would be better. This is quite scary, brothers and sisters, but many of us, by our actions and thoughts, are telling God, I really can run my life better than you. Discontentment is a lack of faith in God. We learn in God's word that anything we do that is not in faith is a sin. Discontentment is a sin. Worry does not trust God with the future, while discontentment does not trust God in the present. Do we realize discontentment is a sin? Are we repenting of the sin of discontentment this morning? Do we trust God's guidance, or are we enamored, fixated, controlled by our own ways of living? Truth number two. Contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. Let's go back to our text, and now we're in Philippians 4.12. That's Philippians 4.12. And Paul says this, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says he learned to be content. He learned to be content. Does that give us some hope, brothers and sisters, that Paul the Apostle had to learn contentment this morning? Paul says it was a process. It wasn't an overnight deal. Truth be known, many of us do not like processes. Especially processes that deal with trials, pain, and suffering. We want things done today instantly. I want my shot of contentment, please. I would rather skip all the suffering, pain, and sorrow, and struggle. Just let's get right to the contentment part, please. I sort of want my contentment like I want my children to be obedient. I want to say to Lukey and Silas, be obedient, children. Lukey, don't hit your brother. Silas, share your toys with Lukey. And instantly, they listen forever. 
Is that how it works? And they say, yes, daddy, whatever you say, my wonderful daddy. Yes, we're teaching them the King James. Um, I looked into those lights and now I can't see anything. But um, parenting is a process. Parenting is a process. And being content in all situations is also a learned process as well. Truth number three, contentment is found in Christ. Contentment is found in Christ. Contentment is learned as we turn our hope and our strength from circumstances and place our hope in Christ. This means that our circumstances and situations are no longer obstacles to be avoided, but ways of growth and opportunities for us to become more like Christ. We rest in the place that God has us because we find our joy and our peace in Christ. Let me ask you, do we only have contentment when circumstances are going our way? Or are we learning to be content in the person of Jesus Christ? Let's go back to Philippians. And now we're in the last verse that we're going to discuss this morning. And we're in Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13. And Paul says... I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That him is Christ. Paul does not say, I am strong when I'm focused on myself and I realize I'm really important and I'm really special, I'm really successful, or I'm really great. Nor does Paul's strength come from his ability to follow checklists of do's and don'ts. His strength did not come from himself. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is saying Christ is the source, the one who gives him the ability to love the unlovable, to serve the poor, to be patient in conflict, to work unto the Lord when he's exhausted, to praise God under trials, to live each day for Christ instead of himself. Are we finding our strength in Christ this morning? Or are we trusting in ourselves? Casey mentioned last week, our view of God determines how we will live. Paul had an accurate view of God. Do we have a right view of God this morning? A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me read that to you again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do we have great and magnificent thoughts of God this morning? What we believe about God will determine the depth of contentment we have. Truth number four, contentment is found when we have a large view of God. 
Contentment is found when we have a large view of God. Contentment resides, lives, dwells in those who know God. Contentment will follow when we have a right, a more accurate, a higher, or a larger view of our sovereign Lord. How do you see God this morning? Are we looking at God holistically? Or do we see only certain aspects of God? Do we see his greatness, his holiness, his infinite wisdom, his perfect love, his patience, his power, his authority, his justice, his wrath, his truth, his grace, his goodness, and his severity? And I will tell you, sometimes we overemphasize one attribute of God and ignore others. And the American Christian church in general has done a horrible disservice to God by only taking certain aspects of God and preaching it and talking about it every week. This causes us to have a skewed or small view of God. You might have a small view of God this morning if you understand the love of God, but you ignore his holiness. You might have a small view of God this morning if you see his patience without recognizing his disdain and abhorrence for sin. You might have a small view of God this morning if you see God's grace without seeing his passion for truth. We see God clearly and rightly when we recognize all of who God is. We can't look at God like we're in a buffet line and say, you know, I want that love aspect of God. I really like that. But let's leave out the wrathful and vengeful side of God. Or, you know, I'll take two helpings of the patience of God. But I really don't like the holiness thing, you know. Let's leave that out. Or, yes, I will leave out the sovereignty part as well. But I will have three extra helpings of his grace, please. God is not the God of our making. We get our perspective of God from his holy, inerrant, infallible word. Case closed. Many people tell me they don't know the Bible. But they've been a Christian for 20 years. Listen, that does not make any sense to me. How can we say we're a Christian and we don't read the word of God? That's like saying I'm a basketball player but never played basketball. We must read the word of God if we are Christians. And I want to give you the top three excuses that I usually get to hear. Number one, I can't understand the Bible. It's so hard to comprehend. Listen, the Bible, most translations are written at an eighth grade reading level. That is called an excuse. Excuse number two. I don't like to read. It's not my personality. I can't sit down and concentrate. You know what? If if the Bible was a TV show, I would really know it inside and out. Listen, in all honesty, we do a lot of things we don't like to do. We go to work in the morning, we eat our vegetables, and we exercise. Well, some of us really don't exercise, but we're going to work on that. (laughs) And we don't read the Bible? 
excuse number three. I don't have time to read the Bible. I can barely do the real important things like eat and sleep. What are your priorities? Is God's word not a main priority for us this morning? Our actions speak louder than our words. I love Christ and yet I don't meditate on his word. We show what we love by how we live, brothers and sisters. Let's not be deceived. We will never have an accurate view of God if we aren't reading the word of God. A high or right view of God sees God as he really is. Where do we find an accurate view of God this morning? In the word of God. So this morning, let's get a glimpse of God from his word. Turn with me to Psalm 97, 1 through 6. That's Psalm 97, 1 through 6. Psalm 97, 1 through 6. The psalmist says, The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all people see his glory. Is this your view of God this morning, brothers and sisters? Do we see God in his authority, his might, his power, his greatness, his grandeur? Do we have an accurate view of God this morning? Does our view of God come from Scripture? So the question is, how can we grow in our view of God? How can we grow in this view of God? Well, I think a good start would be to meditate on the attributes of God. And what I mean by meditate, it means read in God's word and go over it and go over it and go over it some more until we truly have a clearer, higher, larger view of God. And then think about it some more and then rethink on it, wrestle with it, chew on it, meditate it, get lost in God's greatness, be humbled by his power, grow in awe of his holiness, let your trust strengthen in his faithfulness, thank him for his long suffering, find security in his love, be astounded by his grace this morning. Doubt yourself, but mature and grow in your view of a holy, eternal, and sovereign, all-knowing God. We are so fickle, but God is constant. He is forever. He is the great I Am. We can rest in God and spend time meditating on Him for all eternity and not fully grasp and comprehend our glorious and mighty God this morning. But let's just look at one attribute of God really quickly. His love, his love, his eternal, his perfect, his pure, his undefiled, his precious, his powerful and glorious love. 
But before we do that, let me remind you that in a few days, the Hoskins family will be having a new baby. Luke and Silas will be big brothers. And we wait with anticipation for God's new little blessing to come into our lives. We are excited to love, to care, to teach, and train, and guide this little boy that God is sending to us. We are already dreaming about him. God has already given us such love for this little one that we don't even know yet. And I ask you, how much more love does God have for us? How much more love than God, does God have for us than we even as parents have for our children? God was motivated by this love to save his children. And we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. John 3.16 God's love has been put on display in sacrificing his Son, Jesus Christ. Thinking about his love alone should put our circumstances in perspective. Contentment begins to flow as we see our life wrapped up in God's love. In conclusion, we can rest in the hands of our sovereign God this morning. Paul said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul was not speaking from high platitudes, but from life experience. He lived and breathed the fact that Christ was his life. He loved Christ, and he knew that Christ loved him with an undying love. Paul was content in every situation because he had a right view of God. Are you growing in contentment this morning? Are you content with Christ and Christ alone? Is he your contentment this morning? Is he your contentment in your marriage? Is he your contentment in your finances? Is he your contentment in your family life? Is he your contentment in your job? Is he your contentment in your friendships? Is he your contentment in your life in general? Can you be content with Christ alone if your life doesn't change today? Are you content where God has you this morning? Have you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you turned away from yourself and followed Christ? If you haven't, I would love to sit and talk to you after service. We can sit down and, and talk about the gospel in its entirety. We don't want to be flippant about deciding to follow Christ. We need to really know what we're getting into. And if it, you don't have time today, Casey or myself would love to spend time with you throughout the week and open up all of God's word and what it means to truly be a disciple of Christ. And then when you understand it, you can decide to follow him. May we be faithful to his word. May we truly love God. And as we do, we can actually find real contentment. As we close, I want to give us all a minute to examine ourselves and spend some time in reflection. So we'll give you guys, everyone about a minute to reflect on this sermon after I pray. So let's go to our Lord in prayer and then we will conclude.
Holy Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are so gracious to us, Father. We recognize that we struggle with things like contentment. We struggle so much to be happy and to be thankful where you have us. We want to call the shots often in our lives. We want to tell you where we need to be and what we should be doing and who should be doing this, Father. But help us to truly see you clear and recognize you have our life under control. And we can depend and be content in you by the power of your spirit. May we be a people who have a high, large, holistic view of you and that we recognize all your attributes and we don't just feed on a few of the ones that, really, that we really feel good about, but we wrestle with all of who you are. God, help us to be like Isaiah. When he saw you, he was humbled and he fell to his knees and he was broken and said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Help us to have that view of you today, this morning, God. We praise you and thank you, and it's through Christ's name. Amen. God's word with you. So I invite you to do that. And also, don't forget the business meeting that will start in uh, 15 minutes from right now. Let's close with God's word. Romans chapter 15 says this May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God's grace and peace on you. You're dismissed.